Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Everything's okay, Darren. Uh, Everything uh, is fine. How how are you? I'm looking forward to a spooky discussion that we're having this week and next week. We have so many scary Halloween movies to talk about. Um, <laughs> we thought we burned through two of them at a time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. What happened is last year, um, and well, the year before, we had the wonderful uh, Doctor Bernice Murphy on to talk about Signs of the Lambs with us. And then last year, she very gamely came back to do two episodes with us. She did The Exorcist and The Exorcist to The Heretic, and that worked very well. So we thought that what we'd do is we'd subject her to another routine of a really good Halloween movie and a really bad Halloween movie mm-hmm. in order to mark kind of this this most special occasion. So we're gonna this get the is... bad one out of the way. This is the What's in the Parentheses sequel um, of, 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 of movies. <laughs> where, where it's just like, what, what's in the box? What's in the bag? Um, yeah. That, that's, that's what joins these two movies together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're spiritual companions to one another, I think. I think we can draw a clear line there. But yes, next week we will be talking. And I love that we're just opening this episode by going, please, listeners, stick with us. Next week we'll be talking about a good movie, we promise. Next week we'll be talking about David Fincher's Seven, which is 25 years old. But this week to kick us off, we figured we'd talk about an, what I think might pass the smell test of the is it a horror movie uh, kind of movie, which is Neil LeBute's uh, 2006 remake of Robin Hardy's 1973 classic. The Wicker Man, starring Nicolas Cage. And joining us for this discussion, we have the fantastic Dr. Bernice Murphy. How are you, Bernice? Well, I mean, I'm very well because I've <laughs> I've been through the worst of it. I've seen this film again and I've lived to tell the tale. But I just have to say that I feel my human rights have been violated in some really important <laughs> ways. And, uh, you know, I sat through the heretic and I thought, it, you know, I did my job there. But this is just, you know, Ooh, so this is just not so all. You, it's both a horror you, you film see- and a horrible <laughs> film. So yeah. Yeah. I have I many thoughts. The heretic was at least kind of interesting. Um, this this is the, well, I, I suppose this gets interesting in the last what twenty minutes. Thirty so, minutes, Marco's yeah, full there, cage. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, yeah. When, uh-huh. when he wakes up, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when when the when the when the paycheck cashes apparently yeah. that's the yeah. moment when you realize when Nicolas Cage kind of roars to life but actually Bernice just very quickly come back to something there um several things I want to kind of unpack but the first one is you mentioned you sat through it again had you seen the Wicker Man the 2006 version before I had yeah uh, now in fairness I'm pretty sure I fast forwarded to the end for which I'd heard you know not the bees etc um but I have seen it before I've also seen which not many people have seen I have seen the Wicker Tree which is the direct yeah. sequel, which was made about 20 years later to The to the Wicker Man. And it is also a terrible, terrible film. But you know what? It's still better than this. Somehow, a, a very low-budget, terrible sequel where there's kind of like a Britney Spears-type um, virginal American pop star, and she goes to Scotland, and it's somewhere else, but it's not really because they clearly don't have the, the money. Anyway, it's awful. But this <laughs> it was still better than this. So that's... um. You know, yeah. I, I, the capsule review there to kick us off. If you want a bad movie, but not a terrible movie. Capsule review of the first rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like on the sliding scale of bad. And like, you kind of alluded to it there. So I guess I'm just going to ask flat out. Is this version of The Wicker Man worse than The Heretic? 
Because last week, last year when we had you on and, and you watched The Heretic, yeah. it was very much like a very visceral, very strong reaction. Is this a worse movie than The Heretic? Yeah, it is because I, I actually was sort of surprised by this. Um, I mean, I remembered that it was about a matriarchal society who were evil, et cetera, et cetera. But I was actually sort of taken aback. And maybe it's because it's from a 2020 perspective where I think we're all quite aware that there's like a really toxic subculture on the internet that blames <laughs> women for everything because we're all even evil so-and-sos looking to trap men and uh, take their sperm and have their babies and just do our own thing and then kill them. Um, so I just feel, you know, uh, really distressed that our master plan has been revealed. But <laughs> this yeah. this film this film is actually like a vindication of M- the worst MRA imaginings possible. Um, and and that's not something I would have said ten years ago when I or whatever whenever it was out when I saw it. But watching it this time around, it is. I mean, it it just it ticks a lot of boxes actually that. Um, makes it in a way I don't want to sound over the top but it's more troubling (laughs) that's the only thing about the film that actually troubled me was this undercurrent of um, women are evil Um, so yeah well, it's worth noting, actually, because it's, it's from director Neil LeBute, who has been labeled by some yeah. of his critics as, oh, yes, as Neil LeBute. Yes. Um, <laughs> a, a former Mormon whose like body of work is largely, um, if you were being extremely generous, you could argue is like an, exuma- you know, an exhumation of uh, a certain type of, you know, misogyny, basically, an attitude that men have. Um, or if you wanted to be less flattering to it, you could argue that's basically just a showcase for all its worst tendencies mm. and all the kind of like simmering bile beneath the surface. I think shortly before this, in 1999, he directed The Company of Men with Aaron Eckhart, mm. who has an absolutely tiny cameo here. Um, I oh, think he gets one of the bizarre. first lines in the movie. Yeah, he's <laughs> you he's noticed him too, did you? Uh, he's the truck driver. Oh, he's the truck driver. Yeah, he's he gets the first line at the at the bar. He literally gets the the truck driver, gets the check, and leaves. And I was like, "Is that Aaron?" Wait, no, he was, never mind. He was the most sensible one in the film. You know, I <laughs> yes, wish I could. I'm out of that. here. He's not <laughs> one of those murderous truck drivers, though. Or, or is he? Like, we yeah. don't know. And uh, they all are. Yeah. <laughs> is there any, is in Hollywood that, context. Is anything that happens kind of in the first twenty minutes kind of? Does that make any sense whatsoever? Yeah, does, does that relate to the rest of the movie at all? They, we'll they, probably they have... save that for just the spoilers. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense. I think, like, even if you can argue that it fits with the rest of the movie, it still makes absolutely no sense in any tangible way, shape, or form, outside of what Bernice suggested, which is basically the movie's weird suggestion that all women are basically, like, the different faces of an ominous alien evil that is out to get you men. Yeah. It, um, and Laurie. Worse, worse than that, you're trying to silence us. Take away <laughs> our, our, our tongue so that our we can't tongues. give our great opinions on things. Um, <laughs> but it's okay because this was an early internet movie, so you could type them out very angrily. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> a message board. I, I was just going to say, sorry, um, I think this is the film that a lot of people who didn't really get that Gone Girl was a black comedy you know, Fincher, I love Gone Girl, I love Fincher. Um, but I think it's a, the film a lot of people thought Gone Girl was, which is basically <laughs> an endorsement of the worst, fant- you know, most, uh, you know, worst fantasy of what women can be like behind closed doors. This is the film that really runs with that, whereas Gone Girl's actually completely taken the piss out of that, and I would argue is a morbid black comedy. Um, so Fincher, just thought I'd bring him in there. Yeah. And get us set up nicely for next week. All right, then. So uh, we're kind of on a bit of time pressure this time around. So we'll kind of jump into the three questions to get us all started. Yes, we're, Bernice. We're rearing to cover seven as well. 
We are rearranged number seven. <laughs> like we want to talk about a good movie, basically. Um, but so to kick us off, so Bernice, do you think that the um, the Neela Butte version of The Wicker Man from 2006, I feel the need to clarify which version we're talking about, is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? I, I think that would be to give it a kind of a, a a weird kind of glory that it doesn't deserve. I think it should just be erased from everyone's memory banks, unless you're a real aficionado of, of you know, cult terrible Nick Cage performances but this isn't a good terrible Nick Cage performance just a really bad one like I've sat through Left Behind I don't know why but I've watched it where he's an airline pilot who's left so have we <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this this manages to be less enjoyable than Left Behind which is kind of a, an entertaining terrible film I thought um in in its way but no I in short um I wouldn't give it the glory I would just purge it from this earth Hey, that's interesting because I think we might actually have something to discuss yeah. in the sports on like the worst sort of disagreement between co-hosts and kind of guests, <laughs> which is like we both hate this movie, but we just hate it slightly to different degrees. I think it's Andrew, sound like you yeah. love one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's the problem. Oh, why don't you just go marry the Wicker Man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I I would Andrew, but then it would lure me to a secret island so that I when I was looking for this my is, daughter and then murder me. This <laughs> is what happens to you online all the time is <laughs> I, now to be clear i didn't like it however i thought it was interesting what it was and, and somebody is like what are you saying you idiot. this guy's saying he likes it <laughs> yeah. get him get him yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, i was saying boo earns um all right then and andrew what about yourself do you think the wicker man belongs on a list of the 100 worst movies ever made um yeah i mean it is it is Perhaps a better a better example than um, than Left Behind of a of a crazy Nicolas <laughs> Cage um, uh, performance. Um, you you almost kind of want to put it in the bottom one hundred for for making a, a remake of the, the the Wicker Man. I think that's what gets a lot of of these movies into the bottom one hundred is. Um, that it upsets a certain kind of moviegoer. Exactly, the kind of moviegoer yeah. goes online and votes. I don't think it was the misogyny that got it on here. No, being frank. no, 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 no. Yeah, they, in 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 fact, like if they watch it again in twenty twenty <laughs> and realize, oh, this is pretty misogynist. I think I'll vote it up. Uh, yeah, the, the, the average IMDb voter. Uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, the the um, yeah. It, probably belongs to be on the bottom 100 i mean yeah it, it's it it works very badly as well as yes as, as, as yeah. movie. there's so much kind of um just very just stuff that doesn't work like like kind of um hilariously bad um ineffective jump scares yes um, <laughs> and like bad and weird editing. camera movements yeah, yeah, the score yeah. as well. And I like my personal favorite part of rewatching The Wicker Man is these kind of establishing landscape shots with Nicolas Cage just running across them. <laughs> like where you'll get two or three. Like it's like when you're playing an old 90s video game. Like remember those Lucasfilm video, LucasArts video games where you have to get from one side of the island to the other. So you have to keep crossing these screens over and over. It's like when Nicolas Cage has to get to the dock, he has to pass, oh, the forest. He has to pass, oh, the small road. He has to run down the little ramp to the jetty, and it's like now he's at the plane. Oh, it's like Mario really... World. Or, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like these worlds that Nicolas Cage has to visit across on the island in yeah, order to get yeah. back to the spot. And there would be a B level. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, for, for myself, I would probably say that it deserves to be on the list anyway, because I think it is, inverted commas, culturally important. And that I think it represents a number of kind of culmination of a certain kind of cultural trend that was happening at the time. In that, like, this was a rat. Sorry, Bernice, I apologize in advance. No, no, I got you, I got you. But it kind of, it, it's, you know, around this time you started having like the Platinum Dune remakes of these old classic horrors. Stuff like, yeah. for example, you know, the the uh, the boom that kicked them off was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But around the same time you also had like the Last House on the Left, I think a couple of years later. But you had um, The Hills of really around good. the same time as well. Yeah. I actually really like the Texas Chainsaw uh, like- Massacre and the... And the uh, and the last uh, did I like the last house in the left? Was that the one with uh, what's her name Jennifer Lawrence? Am no, I thinking the right uh, remake? No, um, last house okay. on the left doesn't really have anyone that famous in it. Um, the okay. dad out of my name is not my name is Earl. The other thing that was by the people who did my name is Earl. Sorry, that's going nowhere. That anecdote, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember his name. But that, but but that he plays Krug and he's very good. Yeah, right. he played a Terminator um, in Sarah Connor Chronicles. Ah, okay. But yes, like you have this kind of cultural movement in that the 2000s where you have a bunch of studios remaking kind of movies, you know, horror movies of like the 70s and the 80s that were kind of cult classics, but completely misunderstanding them. And again, arguably then you get a couple of years later, you get them remaking like Paul Verhoeven movies and completely oh, yeah. mis- misunderstanding those as well. Oh, yeah. So I feel like it's the, the Wicker Man... kind of edge off them and making them sort That's... of sexless and mm. inert, you know? Yeah, yeah. And in this case, sexist and inert. Oh, yeah. um, but I feel yeah. kind of like... I can't, like I feel like encapsulating kind of capturing that moment is maybe worth something on the bottom 100 as well. I think that there's maybe something there in terms of like it existing as an artifact of kind of the moment in which the internet became a thing, which we'll talk about with Nicolas Cage because it's like Not this was the thing. What was the type of phone that she used to to connect the internet? Um, yeah. and now it's something I else. love by the way that yeah. Summer Isle you can't get cell service on Summer Isle but they have a website an incredibly detailed website um, yeah. and apparently landlines <laughs> land they can ring when people are looking up or googling them apparently in 2006 despite no cell service on the island um, but no no more just the fact that like it arrived at the perfect moment in 2006 for internet culture so like you look at Nicolas Cage's career before this and like in the year leading up to this he did like you know sort of like the the Man of War or Lord of War. That kind of, you know, remember that sort of like prestige piece about like arms gun, arms runners. He did kind of middle brow crowd pleasers like uh, The Weatherman with, I think, Gore Verbinski in there as well. Um, and he kind of like, he'd done the National Treasure movies as well. He was a big bankable star. He was kind of recognizable and famous and still a leading actor. And then The Wicker Man comes out and it's almost like a flip switches. And all of a sudden he's starring in you know, all of a sudden he's starring in crap like Knowing or Next or whatever. And he's kind of disappeared almost entirely. And it's like, well, that I mean, what, Wasn't he always kind of destined to, to be in uh, <laughs> movies crap. like this? Like, like, like the, um, because things like The Rock and Con Air and um, Face Off, like they were, they were, they were all sort of um, um, in same performances in, mm-hmm. in like yes. in the they were all cheering on camp or outright camp weren't they yeah. oh yeah like yeah. they weren't in kind of you know subtle movies or yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like even like wild at heart for example and stuff like that like the good like good nicholas cage is not that far from this nicholas cage fair <laughs> um but no but i think that what happened is this came out in 2006 which was the point at which like youtube was a thing 
And at which point you could like record Nicolas Cage performances and Nicolas Cage snippets. And you could share videos of Nicolas Cage shouting, not the bees, not the bees, my eyes, my eyes, without having seen the movie in the first place. And it could be shared hundreds of thousands of times or millions of times. And therefore it kind of, it was one of the first kind of memes. It was a moment at which an actor like literally transformed himself into a bit of internet language. And I find, I think maybe it's historically significant for Right there, along with like salad fingers and butter, 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 butter. All of the early um, YouTube videos. I used to think that the YouTube was called YouTube. Uh, like, like YouTube, is it? Yeah, no, like, 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 like it was somebody calling a person a tube. Yeah, like, like, um, like an Irish insult. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. YouTube. You. Um, but um, it. Uh, but no, no, it would also have been 2006 would have been the same year that, say, Snakes on a Plane was released, which was the first movie that was memorably, like, written by the internet yeah. um, to disastrous results, uh, which is basically an attempt to turn a meme into a movie. It was also the same year that I think, if I remember correctly, Tom Cruise danced on the couch on Oprah, which was another huh. moment that went viral online, which wouldn't have been as embarrassing if it had just happened on the Oprah Winfrey show and people had heard about it through gossip. But because you could actually watch it and share it and distribute it, it suddenly became this career-ending or almost career-ending thing for Cruz. Is this Cruise not anything to fired. do with the movie? <laughs> is this the okay. summer 2006? Um, okay, okay but my point, is, my point is that The Wicker Man kind of like captures that. The Yeah, we're taking you back in time, listeners. But my point is more <laughs> that The Wicker Man captures that moment. I think The Wicker Man is, one of, is a part of that moment. And maybe if you were making an argument for it on this list, I think that it would deserve to be there because it captures that moment. That's my argument. That's what I'm saying. All right, then. Second question. Uh, Bernice, would it be on your own bottom 100? Is this one of the worst 100 films you have ever seen? You know, like I said earlier, I just I wouldn't even think of it. That's how poorly I think of it. I would just not even consider it for my own bottom 100. It's just purged. I mean, I will admit that the in fairness, the last 15 minutes, which I remember before I went to see this, a friend described it to me in the pub as uh, quote, that film where Nicolas Cage runs around screaming and punching women in the face. And I thought, <laughs> this must be a very reductive summary. <laughs> and it's not. That's the last 15 minutes. And so I, I actually, maybe I preserved the last 15 to 20 minutes because there is a certain demented, what, what in God's name is happening here? Um, why does he keep, like, the fight scene with Lily Sobieski is just... <laughs> I haven't seen her in anything since you know what went wrong no. it's just so in fairness I'd maybe keep 15 minutes of it in a bottom 100 for that reason so I'm, I'm modifying my earlier response slightly I realize okay. but the other the rest of it I actually just think it's just a bad film that's also quite boring and tedious and they completely waste per Ellen Burstyn you know call back yes. to, to the exorcist wonderful actress great presence gets nothing to do here except wear snazzy face paint <laughs> and look like it looked like braveheart our little braveheart well, moment our, our, our yeah. they may take our bees but they will never take our got paid well you know if that's that if that's good enough for me if she got paid well but no i yeah it was famously, I think, her first horror movie since The Exorcist, because she'd done a bit of voiceover for Red Dragon, but this was kind of advertised as her big return to the genre. So, Ellen. worth it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Andrew, what about yourself? Is this one of the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? Yeah, I'd, 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 kind of, I'd, 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 I'd agree with Bernice in, 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 in that. It's, it may, it may be for the last kind of... Um, uh, 20 minutes or so and that there are moments like kind of um, 
uh, I suppose, um, that beggar belief kind of uh, <laughs> before that point that, that, that make this movie um, crazy bad. But yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's a little bit too boring at points, you know, um, to, 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 to have in, in the very um, bottom 100. Kind of, you, you, you do kind of want to give it a um, place as well, though. In, in one's personal list for, for just how um, uh, misogynistic it is, um, yeah. which 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 I guess we'll be getting to. Yeah, I was not prepared for that because it was like it's a weird thing to add to like the movie that you're taking from like the UK because it's like in the UK it's about apples and it's about paganism and you know it's about fertility and it's about you know reproduction and, and kind of masculinity. It's like, we're going to move this to the States. So what are we going to make it about? How women are evil. Oh, we it's can't like, make it about it. sex anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Religion's a bit of a no-no either. Let's just cut the religion stuff. So what does that leave us with? Yeah, we'll work with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's one of the worst films I've ever seen, to be honest. I, I see a lot of terrible, terrible films. And being honest, I kind of enjoyed the last 15 minutes so much that I feel guilty. I feel like I was pulling an Andrew, where I'd be saying, this is one of my worst 100 movies ever, and actually be putting on a movie that I would kind of like rather watch than one of the worst 100 movies I've ever seen. So probably <laughs> not. It pro like it feels like it would be a cheat. I would enjoy it too much for this to be one of the worst movies ever or one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And then final question, Bruce. If listeners have not watched The Wicker Man, if they haven't seen the 2006 version, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? No, go and see the original, which is a masterpiece. Uh, you know, and even if you know what happens at the end, which unfortunately is a bit like Psycho, the ending so famous also it's on the cover of the all the dvds so right. <laughs> you know probably yeah. have a rough idea that nothing good's happening when you go inside a Wicker Man. But no, no, go, don't encourage them go, go and see the original robin hardy anthony schaefer yeah. film which is just incredible um and it's such a huge influence on on modern horror that if you're i say this every time i'm on your podcast if we're all interested in the genre um you should go see this one but not not no not even for not the one we're um, talking about not even to laugh at what I recommend. Just look up the up supercuts on on YouTube, as we were saying. You know, you don't need to watch the whole thing to get the insanity of the final few moments. So no, don't watch. Definite no. Yeah. Question: Do we underestimate the importance or influence of the Wicker Man two thousand and six on Midsummer, the Ari Asher film? I mean, the be first thing I saw in yeah. watching this, I did wonder yeah. that. Very like, striking, it, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. quite an interesting thing to take from from the movie. Because it was like, because uh, I, I hadn't watched this since I'd watched Midsummer, and what rewatching it after Midsummer, I was like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> did he borrow that image?" Um, Somebody saw this, yeah, obviously, and thought like, "This could be great if it was great," um, and, <laughs> and decided to, yeah. I mean, they, they, yeah. I haven't actually seen Midsummer, but from what I have seen of it, yeah, that, that's uh, that's very astute, the kind of look of it, I guess. Yeah. And and one particular image as well involving Nicolas Cage, but we, we're short of the spoiler zone, so we probably won't get into it now. Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners call off the podcast and watch um, The Wicker Man? I'm gonna I'm gonna be very boring and just parrot what what Bernie said. You mm. you definitely should check out the um, the original. Um, I don't have a hot take on this, <laughs> um, so um, yeah, did um, watch it. It's great. Um, um, you have Christopher Lee, um, Fred Eklund. Um, so yeah, yeah, check um, check that out instead. It's great, and it's yeah. um, and it's properly 
kind of weird, but not in that kind of why did they make this movie weird um, <laughs> way. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't somebody stop them? Sort of. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, can Can I just mention one thing? Sorry. Um, about the original that is is just rather bafflingly completely left out here which is that the original is a musical um really it, it not you know it's a de facto musical the music is so important it's beautiful the soundtrack's incredibly famous uh i think it was a guy called paul giovanni that did it and it, you know this film is just, well, you've got a few people playing flutes really badly but you know it's like they just couldn't even be arsed with that seminal yeah. aspect of this seminal film i just wanted to mention that it's it's really surprising to see a worker man remake that just pretty much ignores that side of things yeah, do you want me to make it worse somehow yeah so go on it's 2020 why not neil the was asked about this and he said that the reason why he took out the musical numbers was because he didn't want people to laugh at the movie Oh. <laughs> Irony, thy name is Neil Butte. Um Sorry, Andrew, oh. I cut you off. No, it, it's 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 what a lot of these bad movies have in common. It's really kind of um, uninspired sort of soundtracks. You're listening to it, and it's like that's boring. And yeah, like this like is the, how I should feel in this moment, sort of thing. Yeah, or yeah, like a yeah. jump scare, and the orchestra kicks in and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, it's it. it, it it's 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 one of the many reasons why why this, this yeah it's, I feel why, why I feel bad singling people out but but the composer is uh, Angelo Baldamateri the guy who mostly works with David Lynch who did the Twin Peaks really oh, wow what yeah yeah um now to be fair he wouldn't have controlled how his soundtrack was used necessarily in the film itself that would largely be down to the butte and the ender and stuff like that but yeah that's that's a really depressing aspect of the film. He's still complicit in this crime against cinema. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> going to my that's list. It, just cross him off. Yeah, that's it. Everybody involved in this movie. I'm giving Ellen Burstyn a pass because she, yeah. she's earned it for The Exorcist and all her other wonderful films. But no, everybody else, no. Um, but yeah, no, and I think Andrew's right in terms of like, and I think you're right, you're onto something there with the removal of the music because what it does is it's the same thing that all these terrible remakes do, which is they look at the original and they ask, what are the most weird and unique and distinctive things about these movies? Let's take them out and replace them with generic nonsense, which defeats yeah. the purpose of like, remaking them it. in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the American remake of Ring, which I think came out at roughly the same time. Do you remember it with um, Naomi Watts? And it's actually yeah, another Gore Vinsky movie. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and it's not bad at all. I thought it was one of the better Japanese film remakes. But at the end of it, they replace the the magnificent bit that happens at the end. I don't want to say what it is for people who haven't seen it, but they replace that with a CGI version, and it's just and they also intercut it between a scene of someone trying to race and stop the thing that's happening from happening, and it just ruins it. And it's oh, but sorry, it's just it's you're absolutely right. They do do that, and they do that in this film as well. No, absolutely. And it's it kind of, again, what's what's the point in remaking something as odd as The Wicker Man if all you're going to do is turn it into a generic, you know, what we now recognize as a bad Nicolas Cage movie? What, what is a generic bad horror movie anyway? All right, then. Um, and for myself, yeah, I, I recommend basically parroting what Bernice said, parroting what Andrew said, which is watch the YouTube clips. The joy of this is that it arrived at the perfect time where people could upload the worst parts or the best parts uh, of this movie onto YouTube. And you can watch them in one go in a super take do that that is probably more fulfilling than watching the movie itself i think there's interesting stuff here in inverted commas uh, that's worth unpacking but i don't think it's it's necessary and not if you want to watch a good movie with that in mind then join us on the other side of the spoiler zone spoiler zone <laughs> <laughs> thank you nick um 
So, so Bernice, what is The Wicker Man 2006 about for you? Oh, uh, well, I think in that's the, it. I think. Yeah. Um. It, it. You mean you don't mean the plot, do you, or do you mean the the? No, no. I think you named it, it, it already. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I think we've it, got to, like not to jump too far ahead, but yes, we may have was, already going to put our finger on the pulse. So, I would say it's about a deeply unpleasant and unlikable cop who's really bad at his job, um, who uh, who's traumatized by an accident on the job. Um, sorry, that's giving me giving the plot now. This film is just actually hard to describe. No, it's it's about a, a a lonely man who decides that he's going to get some sort of personal and professional vindication by going to an island and finding out has it where a missing child has gone at the behest of his former um, girlfriend only to discover that all of his you know secret worst thoughts about what women are up to have come true and they really are all against him it's actually um if i might if i might mention a classic literary text uh, there's a novel from 1941 by a guy called fritz Leiber called conjure wife and in this uh, uh sort of ordinary academic man of course because women can't be academics in the 40s um discovers that his wife's a witch and then he discovers that every other woman in the world is secretly a witch and the whole time they're all conspiring um to 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 basically do things to men or to advance their own husbands etc and this is kind of like a film version of that where it's just women like there's reveals at the end of this film where you realize that Pretty much every woman in the film that he's encountered was actually connected <laughs> to Summerisle. So there's a, fe- a a fellow cop who comes and visits him when he's at his lowest. She was one of them as well. Um, the woman and and uh, in a car with her child who seemingly burned to death. They were in it as well. And you're kind of going like, was even his mother in it? You just it's yeah. So pff, that's extremely incoherent. I don't know if this film deserves coherency, but um, I think it's like it's like a paranoid nightmare about women. Um, and what they'll do to you <laughs> to get what they want, uh, which is basically sperm and children, and then they can dispose of you. So yeah, that's that's in a nutshell what I think it's about. By, by literally taking you up in an umbilical cord inside themselves. It's notable that like Superman <laughs> imagery here is very vaginal, whereas like Nicolas Cage is literally dragged through the between the legs of the Wicker Man up inside it and then like burnt alive. So it's wicker, you know, wicker. is this like a Wicker men don't have vaginas, Dan. <laughs> women have. <laughs> wicker women, yeah. I mean, like again, it's, maybe wicker they couldn't change trend. it. You know, it's, maybe yeah. it is a wicker woman. We don't see any Johnson. There, 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 there. There's chickens inside. The way that it's shot, the way that it's framed, though, is very much like Nicolas Cage is being taken inside of this person through a gap between their legs, like on a cord, like a little umbilical cord, and then burnt. A, it's very much like. If it wasn't called the Wicker Man, you would assume that Nicolas Cage was being burnt in li- burnt alive inside a giant wooden woman as a manifestation <laughs> of the movie's like deep seated themes. It's um, like if you want an encapsulation of the movie, this is it. Um, it women like suffocate that. you and then they kill you. That is the theme of <laughs> yeah. the film. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it's not just kind of that it hates women; it's that it hates um, feminism and the, the, yeah. the um, and that and that feminism are is fighting against good Christians because they, they, they this it, it feels it feels kind of similar to um, Left Behind in terms of its um, its Christianity. This movie, um, mm-hmm. I got that impression anyway. And it, it, it there's a lot of kind of um, uh, uh, 
pro-life kind of um stuff oh, kind you of mean like, like murder like, murder is murder you know, sort of stuff yeah like, yeah murder yeah is murder sort of they, thing. It's like, they have um kind of there's kind of an insinuation that that they're doing away with all of the men that kind of um if um, and the fetuses in jars and stuff yeah, like yeah. that which is very much like again you know reproductive horror is a rich vein of kind of horror but here it's it's just borderline women can women inverted commas control reproduction and that's terrifying for men basically is is what the film seems to be saying does i mean like there's obviously a rich vein of kind of horror that's about the horror of reproduction like making a little person being responsible for a little person the body horror of transformation through pregnancy and stuff like that and that's all interesting to explore here it's quite literally like women have babies and that gives them power over men, and that should scare any sane man when he's confronted mm-hmm. with that reality, uh, which is very, very, very unsettling and very I, uncomfortable. I was thinking this movie could have been redeemed in the, if if there was a Shutter Island twist and, and <laughs> at the end where they're and all I'm helping like, him work yeah. through his misogyny. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That, like, like, because. He's... Ellen Bernstein sitting there going, "Baby, why are you all wet?" Um... <laughs> yeah, because he's hallucinating so much. Like even his, his his hallucinations have hallucinations. He has this like yeah. recursive dream where I like first start <laughs> laughing. It was, it it's was amazing. One of the best things and, about this movie. And and he's always he's always looking at like a little packet of a, a cylinder of pills, which is like the cardinal American film sign that. You, your perceptions mightn't be right. Like, will he take the pill or won't he take the pill? Yeah, so it's it is very Shutter Island, like, isn't it? The first thing he does in Shutter Island is he takes a pill. Yeah. yeah. Pull yourself yeah. together, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would make it. A, I think that would make it like a fifteen percent better film. It would still be a terrible film, but it would. Yeah. yeah. If we if we find out at the end that he's at some kind of sexual harassment kind of clinic. <laughs> <laughs> for his behavior on the, on yeah, the job yeah yeah he th- he thinks he is like um what yeah it's 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 nuts because it and the other thing about it is that like we're we're supposed to believe that he he was um that his life was kind of ruined because of this e- e- explosion um but i suppose we're expected to think that nick cage is very young in this because his his his, well, his, his fiance his, his ex fiance yeah yeah his former fiance she's she they 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 were together like ten years ago, um, <laughs> and she looks about twenty nine right yeah yeah and but it but he he's he's writing like he, he's a highway cop at the beginning and you think and he does kind a little like, scoop down something's yeah, he already kind of like... gone bad in this guy's life. <laughs> like, <laughs> If what he wants is to be a a detective and he's like a highway cop and he's like what forty. I mean, it's difficult <laughs> to tell what age Nick Cage is um, at any given moment. What his his um, his wig isn't great in this. No, um, no. But I, I I suppose that's kind of a um, most of the budget went on Ellen Bernstein. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's talk a little bit about Malice, because Malice is uh, an interesting character in inverted commas. He's this, I think Bernie sort of mentioned earlier, he's one of the most obnoxiously unlikable protagonists I have seen in any movie in a very, very long time. And I include, say, you know, Jack Rayner's character in Midsummer in that example, in that he is very much, he's a highway patrolman 
Um, he suffers trauma on the job. He decides to, he gets a letter from his ex fiance saying that her daughter's gone missing. He does not contact the local authorities. No, he goes, in he, fact, he acts in Foley's. <laughs> but he's his way there, except he's like not charming like Axel Foley. Is. No, and Axel Foley is breaking com- all those rules and jurisdictions. You're just like, um, oh, you, 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 you scamp. And he had his own theme, which was brilliant. Which you know, exactly. Yeah, well, Malus doesn't have. Yeah. Edward needs a but theme. Like- <laughs> I think the theme. The theme is simmering anger towards women. But no, like, it, like, the like, theme is, the like he, you probably beeped this out. The theme is those bitches. That's what the yeah. theme is. Uh, that is exactly it. The moment of truth as his legs are snapped, shouting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he realized too late for him, basically, but not late enough for you, audience members. You can still glean this from the movie, depressingly you, enough. You can you can probably put that in the column of like the the charitable... Uh, interpretation that you were that 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 you were suggesting could be made about the movie. The fact that it's so <laughs> like apparent that he that he hates uh, women, like because he's just shouting, "You butchers!" Um, <laughs> I finally validated. Like, sure, my legs yeah. are broken. I'm actually burnt alive, but at least I finally got proof that I was right all along. <laughs> I mean. The, 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 the only problem, we'll talk about Malice then in a moment, but the, the only problem with that is that the movie's lone sane man, and yes, it is a man, is Pete, his friend from the California Highway Patrol, who basically sits him down and says, uh, yeah, sounds like she got close to someone else and she has the nerve to contact you now. And that's very much like this is the movie's voice of reason is Pete, who appears in a single scene. And he's like, this woman, she didn't stay with you. And now she's getting in contact and asking you for help man <laughs> you need to get over that well who does she think she is like that's the movie's idea of what a sane response is in this world like that's the movie sort of like okay look he like malice's or malice's problem you know isn't that he's a misogynist malice's problem is that he's not misogynistic enough in the <laughs> film's worldview well, it's like he, he trusts her enough to go to the island well, that's yeah, the problem because, because he was close <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like was she your wife and it's like oh she was she was my fiance we were close which <laughs> 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 is a crazy line the actress who plays the fiance but I thought of her all the way through the film as not Vera Farmiga um, yes I have the same reaction because to it she's well. like a version of Farmiga who's a little bit younger but also can't act um, <laughs> Because Farmiga is really good. She tends to elevate material, yeah. but she just stands there with this gl- glassy-eyed kind of stare. Um, even when it's revealed that she's evil at the end of the film, it's like, you know, give us something here, missus, but no. Yeah. You know? Anyway. She, she has upsettingly neat penmanship as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was so um, bizarre, like weird, Watching, looking at that letter. Like I, I, I felt that would be enough for because <laughs> when, when he hands when he hands the his 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 partner like the the uh, the I suppose he doesn't have a partner but the the other police officer this letter and it's very clear he hasn't had time to read it it's as if he just saw like the handwriting and was like whoa no <laughs> um, <laughs> like whatever she's asking like run a mile um, yeah. <laughs> this is this is a crazy person. Yeah. Um. Um, what what is actually worth noting there in terms of kind of just 
just Malice's character is that I think that Bernice kind of nailed this on the head. He is extremely unpleasant from the outset. Even when he's trying to like bribe the pilot to fly him over there, it's like me and my two friends, Ulysses and Grant. And it's like, dude, you can bribe him like more yeah. than a hundred dollars for this. Like you don't need to be cheap. Or the moment where he like shows up on the island and immediately starts basically throwing his dick around where he drinks a pint of mead and then says, I'm a police officer. I'm going to be asking you all a lot of questions, which I'm fairly sure is a drinking on the job. B, outside the remit of, like, a highway patrolman. Yeah. And C, as as I think Sister Beach points out, you know, he's a California cop and he's in Washington. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love the obnoxiousness of his response. I'm aware of that. Um, He's just so, like, fundamentally, on, I'm on the side of the cultists here. Oh, yeah. Like, and I think that's a big problem with this film because... <laughs> you're not if the ending of the film is meant to be in any way horrifying you're meant to have some glimmer of sympathy for the perfecker getting burnt alive in the wicker man and even though edward woodward uh, uh plays a character who's very prim and priggish and, and naive you you feel you feel awful for him at the end that there's genuine terror in his performance he's just you know the bit where he sees the wicker man and goes you know the famous lines oh jesus christ um you can't help but feel absolute horror at what what is happening to him but there's none of that here i mean frankly i think most people watching this film will be going yes i think you're burning of this character i don't usually endorse you know human immolation but in this fictional instance, I'm 100% behind oh, you. Yeah. No, I mean, even the fact that, like, it takes him half of the movie to, like, he showed up on the island to dis to investigate, like, Rowan's disappearance. And it takes him literally half the movie, like a day and a half, to ask, okay, where was she last seen and what was she last doing? Which to <laughs> yeah. me would seem to be, like, the place where you start your police investigation. <laughs> like, rather than the place where you just sort of dilly-dally around the island at your own leisure and go, okay, well, maybe we can look at that as well. well or even the little bit where... It's very difficult to sympathize with him as well because Nick Cage has such a bad such a bad time trying to emote for his daughter. But like the the it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really come across. Of course that's the problem with the first kind of like three quarters of the movie, is that he's he's so sedate. Like well, I I don't know, is it is it kind of does he run out of his pills? Is that what 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 kind of? Or has he taken? he taken too many of them? Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's a the happening level performance, you know, where everyone in the happening seems like they've accidentally taken far too many barbiturates before going to work that day or something. Yeah. Um, really low resting heart rates. It's it's like it's that level of. I mean, a film. Well, I guess I'll just say the line. You know that kind of thing. It's just. <laughs> oh, like I mean, the sequence where the sea, the seaplane lands, which is a the radio he can use to contact, and b his way off, and he proceeds to like he legs it across the island to get to the dock. The plane doesn't come over, right? Which, by the way, when do they murder? Like, when do they have time to murder the guy flying the seaplane between Nick Cage kind of jogging to the jetty? But then, then he falls asleep. He like nods off in this really urgent situation. And that's when he has those two recursive nightmares. And by the way, I love the jump scare when he wakes up the second time where like the, the orchestra kicks in and the camera kind of like jerk zooms out. So it's like he's holding a wet child and he goes, God damn it. Which is just such a wonderfully low key response. It's like, where are my keys? But I kind of like the fact that he's in a situation where he's trying to reach anybody for help and trying to get off the island, which by the way, he can swim to apparently. Like, he's told early on in the movie he could swim to the island if he needed to. There's no real urgency to anything that's going on, despite the fact that it's, like, a missing child and a possible cult that 
he, I think, comes to believe are murdering all the men in their community anyway, which is very odd. Very, very odd. Well, yeah, there's a problem as well in that the movie would probably work better if we had any kind of hope of him succeeding. Like, in spite of, like, even if we were to sympathize with him, what do we hope is going to happen? Like, like, yeah. how, how, what was his plan? That of, to, 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 when, when he, when he, when he, when he arrived. Yeah, like, how is he still, this like, on the, to... on the boat, on the boat, he's still phoning Pete, and Pete is in California. He has not told anybody in Washington <laughs> where he is or what he's doing. <laughs> so, yeah, what is, what is the end game here? What exactly is he planning to do? I kind of love the way that he's clearly so proud of himself for acting like a cop. Like, he's doing single handed exhumations of graves. Like, it's like, that's not what a cop does, Nick. It's like, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. It's like, I want your permission to exhume it. You get the sense that, like, if the if he found a body, his next step would have been to do an autopsy. Why does he ask for permission, though? Like, he, he, he <laughs> like, says, like, um, again, another kind of, like, line which makes you think, like, yeah, this movie is about kind of um, just terrible male stuff the, 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 I, I don't need anyone's goddamn permission just like whoa it, it, <laughs> it, it's 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 very kind of um and it happens repeatedly as well like it, it like the same thing happens in conversation with sister summer Ryle that happens in conversation with the teacher where he has a like he has a really heated emotional conversation with them about a question that he's asking and then at the end of the conversation he reiterates the question so with Sister Summer Isle, it's like, I want your permission to exhume the body. And then they have a long conversation. He says it again. And then with the teacher, it's like, I want to know what happened to Rowan. And then they have a conversation. He asks it again. And in both cases, the woman responds with, oh, I thought I already answered your question, which is another one of like, as Andrew said, one of those really dark, depressing, sort of stereotypical male things where it's like, God. Women are so hard to talk to. You can't get a straight answer out of them, even when you're asking them whether you can exhume a child's body. Yeah. God. What did they want? Like, what did they want yeah. from me? <laughs> yeah. They're just making things more complicated than they need to be. Yeah, it's it's like even in those kind of low key instances, there's like a simmering, like anger there, like so a real frustration. It's like someone who goes into like a Starbucks or something and is just immediately like throwing the cup of coffee over the server. He's just, he's one of those people. He's awful. <laughs> um, or like the fact, the fact that it takes him so long to like hone in on like the weird occult ceremony. The moment where he tells his, his fiance, you mentioned the ceremony, now define it. And it's like, <laughs> you could have asked this question like 40 minutes ago and the movie would almost be over, damn it. Um, yeah. And even, like, the script itself is so stupid. Like, the bit where the teacher descri- describes the word quizotic and what it actually means. And then, like, later on, you know, it's like, what's what's the line? It's like, oh, so dead. We don't, us. we don't. Yeah, tilting at windmills. But later on, when they're talking about, like, how Rowan's dead, she says, we don't use that word here. It would be too. And he finishes the sentiment for her, quizotic. And it's like, that, that's not what the word means. Like, she literally really explained is. it to you. <laughs> But she also literally explained it to you a moment ago. Like, <laughs> and they're also they say they don't use the word death, but or dead. But they're always going on banging on about the ceremony of life and rebirth and death, death and rebirth. So they do actually talk about it as well. Yeah, it's almost as if it was very poorly written and conceived of from the start. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible idea. Um, really, throughout. No, it is. It's it's a 
terrible movie on so, so many levels. I will mention, though, a special shout out to, I think we alluded to it with Midsummer, but the bear costume. Mm. The climax. Um, which apparently, according to Nicolas Cage, who apparently had great fun making this movie, as you might expect, but apparently the bear costume was his idea. It was an allusion to the old uh, Roger Corman movie, The Mask of Red Death, uh, where I think Patrick McGee gets tricked into wearing an ape suit and a dwarf throws brandy on it and lights him on fire. So Nicolas Cage's response was, hey, if I'm going to get set on fire, can I get set on fire wearing an ape suit? And apparently the false compromise they arrived at was, you can wear the ape suit and you can get set on fire, but we're going to take you out of the ape suit before we set you on fire. We're going to break your legs. (laughs) I love that scene. I think, I think The Shining does that with the dogman. It's because The Shining owes a lot to the mask of the Red Death. Um, and yeah. you've got that famous moment where you've got the, the guy. With, I won't say what he's doing. This is a family <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> but there's in a, a room in together. Dog. Two gentlemen that, in a room together. It might be a, might be a poor reference there as well, possibly. Ah. I would know. Um, I don't know anything about horror, so don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> you, won't, you, you, you haven't written like, what, five, six books at this point? Listen, on the it's... It's just a tremendous time to be in academia. 2020 has just been brilliant for us in our profession. So my brain's working at maximum, you know, sharpness. <laughs> uh, and I'm smiling sorry, Andrew, right I, now through the tears. It. Yeah. <laughs> did, I, did I cut you off there, Andrew? Sorry. No, no, no. I, um, I, 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 I think I was just saying that I love the scene where his, his legs are broken. Oh, his legs get broken. <laughs> um, Reminded me of that, that Dave Chappelle, Rick James. Where they, they punch his legs loads of times, and his <laughs> legs are just kind of like a whole like, sort of noodly. Yeah, yeah. Like, th- 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 there's several things about that sequence. The first is that it's an obvious ripoff of Misery, which is another one of those. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Misery's a great movie, but it feels like the per- you know the person who wrote The Wicker Man watched Misery and got, geez, women are terrible out of it. Like that was his takeaway. They try and break your legs so you can't escape. The, the other thing is, like, the weird fact that, like, they keep the men around to do the brute work, even though one mm-hmm. imagines that any of the women could have broken his legs using kind of like a sledgehammer with enough force. It's kind of right. weird that, like, to break his legs, the movie's like, no, no, we need men around to do that. That's what their purpose is on the island. Uh, but, but, there's point- the, but there's the whole, sorry, um, probably, sorry if you're coming to this, but there's the whole thing in the film where you imagine that Neil Butte went, I know, bees. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> <laughs> we need a, something that says a matriarchal society. Ellen Burstyn's the queen bee. We'll put her in a bee, a chamber, a queen bee chamber, and you'll have drones. And of course, the blokes in the island are the the drones. So of course they would do the the heavy lifting. I mean, presumably they built the wicker man, you know, because uh, with our t- smaller hands, we're, we're ill suited for construction work. I'm holding up my hands. We're very ill suited for for you know construction work. Um, so that's why you need them around. They're drones. Yeah, for- Breaking legs, yeah, for breaking legs and building uh, sacrifices. Get my hands apparently. dirty breaking holding, somebody's legs. Holding <laughs> shark bags. Who's going to be but able yeah. to do that? I also, by the way, the fact that Malus is allergic to bees and he only brings a single epipen <sighs> with him to an island that is like literally their their mascot is a bee. Like, and it's not as if, like, he arrives and is like, oh no, bees, I was not expecting this. It's like, literally, their website has, like, a giant bee icon on it. But also the fact that, as Bernice pointed out, like, even the bee imagery is somehow horribly sexist. Because the entire point is that Malus is sexist, but also allergic to bees, which are a matriarchal society, in case you don't get the subtext of what's actually going on here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, quick, quick shout out to the Bee Wrangler on this, who is John Gilbey, um, who is actually, yep, he's uh, he's done a lot of work in cinema um, and he's very frustrated with how bees are traditionally presented. Um, he really didn't like the movie, the bee movie, because the male bees are the pollinators in it. It's completely inaccurate and it's not good for education is what he says. Apparently, he thought that uh, he thought that the Wicker Man was actually quite good and quite fair in its portrayal of bees. That <laughs> it was very, very accurate. Um, it's nice to find some silver linings in there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he definitely earned his keep. Like there, there, there was some some good bee acting. Yeah. Oh yeah, his biggest gripe is Hollywood's macabre portrayal of bees. Um, he says, "I would love to do a movie like On Golden Pond, but with bees. Um, a Does nice retirement movie." Him? Like about um, right. where he bee movies. About bees. Yeah. yeah. Bee um, but I kinda love the idea of like a nice retirement movie where the bees aren't killing anybody. When they did shoot that sequence, not the bees, um, they had to digitally superimpose Nicolas Cage's head. Because apparently Nicolas Cage was very eager to do that scene himself. He was like, Pour them on me, pour them on me, pour the bees on my head. But apparently the insurance people wouldn't let them do that because Nicolas Cage, being Nicolas Cage, had like lined up projects for the next year and nobody wanted a swollen Nicolas Cage face in their movie. Uh, so apparently they actually poured them over a waxwork and then superimposed Nicolas Cage's face on that waxwork, which is maybe why it looks a little bit uncanny um, if you watch mm -hmm. the sequence. It looks a little bit like it shouldn't be there, which is, yeah, something wrong. There's something very, very fundamentally wrong there uh, with the Wicker Man. Um, it's bewildering. No, that's the wrong is, word. Sorry. It's it's very, very, very bewildering. Um, step away from the bike. Just I'm randomly looking through my notes here and just noting <laughs> things that I really enjoyed. Nicholas Cage brandishing his gun, um, insisting that like the, the teacher surrender her bike as well because this is official police business. Oh, God, it's a terrible, terrible movie. Um, or was it? Oh, can you tell us what man represents in his purest in his purest form? Phallic symbol. Phallic symbol. They've <laughs> taken something from the original movie and made it kind of uh, worse. They 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 could have they could have just kind of used the the um, scene from 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 the earlier movie essentially. But I I think they found that that was too. Um, I don't know. I guess it, 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 like it's maybe just a, like a lack of courage or something. Um, You'd wonder, was it a bit of a you know when the the Americans did the remake? Um, was Chris Columbus did the not the remake, the adaptation of the first Philip Pullman book? What is it? His Dark Materials, or is it the Amber Spy? Oh, the Golden Compass. Yes, yeah, sorry, Compass, the Golden Compass. And famously, that book is essentially a critique of organized religion and of Catholicism in particular. But that was completely removed for the American audience. And it just strikes me. I wonder if something similar happened. What you were saying there, Andrew, with that schoolhouse scene. Because the whole point of that in the original is you get this sense of two opposing philosophical and theological worldviews. Uh, you've got the teacher uh, talking to the children about their way of viewing reproduction. And he's really shocked by the frankness and the biological kind of accuracy of it. And it's juxtaposed with the great maypole scenes and a wonderful song um in the original and it's that element that is just completely removed here and and i one of you said i think it was you darren said earlier on where was it a, a failure of courage or something were they afraid to actually have the, the christian component there which is so i mean it, it's the whole point of the film is, yeah. is 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 really that that clash of of worldviews and the fact that summer isle is essentially manipulating pagan belief in a very kind of cynical way as well um and it's just, it's absent here. And I think it leaves a real kind of, 
it's just it, it's it's an essentially hollow, pointless sort of film without that because it's just crazy pagan ladies, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And Nick well, not even pagan ladies. But he, he like they're not even, even that pagan. Yeah. He doesn't even believe in anything. I mean, the closest he is, you know, yeah. to the belief is, I mean, to to like the worst kind of um, stereotype of like a father's rights rights activist who's, you know, like I'm getting my child, but you know that kind of thing. It's it's. I mean, it's it's actually arguably quite offensive to men as well. This film, I'd say. Sorry, I I, I didn't like it. That I that I indicate that. I mean, I I didn't you know I didn't want to be be subtle about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just to be clear. Uh... <clears throat> Fun fact, actually, Nicholas, uh, sorry, Liam Neeson was originally attached to the project back in 1998. Oh, wow. Yeah, you could have had pre-taken uh, Nicholas Cage looking for his daughter or trying to save his daughter, uh, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. but, uh, I'd watch but that. A... <laughs> um, I would wonder what it would it be better or worse if you had Liam Neeson kind of prancing around the island. You'd probably like those sequences of him crossing the island would be a lot shorter because he's a lot taller. But uh, the sequence is, yeah, Liam Neeson randomly punching women in the face, though. I'm wondering if that would be better or worse. Um, I just think it would be, you know, the fact that he has kept his Balamine accent. And I think the film would have been hugely improved if that if that performance had been done in that accent. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no matter what Liam Neeson's doing. A real proper Antrim accent. accent. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that the that's the reason why he did A Million Ways to Die in the West was because somebody pointed out it would be hilarious to see him do a Western with that accent just without <laughs> anything changed. Um, and apparently he decided, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that anyway. Um, in terms of kind of other stuff around this. Oh, the uh, the film famously very troubled release cycle, as one might imagine. It was not screened for critics uh, before it was released, <laughs> surprising absolutely nobody. Um, but also it had a, there was cuts made to it between its release in cinemas and its release on DVD. In fact, the original cut of the movie is very hard to get a hold of. Andrew, you'll be pleased to hear that you obviously watched the director's yes. cut. Because what was added I, to the director's cut was the leg snap. Oh, okay. I, I think yeah, I watched yeah, I that as well that. because the ending's different from what I remembered. With Andrew, yeah, did you find yes. the ending? Because I remembered the ending of the original. There are two women that come into a cafe to pick up another guy to take him to the island. But in the version you saw, did that happen? Because it didn't happen in no, my version. Didn't. I was kind of confused. It, yeah, that did not happen. That um, was cut. It was cut. Hmm. This this is this is a nice one hour forty minutes. Um, <laughs> I, I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> Thank goodness, it's not a yeah. it's not a not nice two hours and a half. Fun fact: Do you know who played those? Do you re- you probably don't remember who played those two men, uh, Bernice? Uh, who's that at the end of the film? At the end of the original director, the original cut of the movie. Yeah. Oh no, I don't. Uh, I've, I've purged that from the memory banks. I'm afraid it was Jason Ritter and James Franco. <laughs> <laughs> James Franco yeah. was one of them. <laughs> James Franco was one of the two men, like that, like the nice sequel hook, the sequel hook they were setting up, which would be James Franco in The Wicker Man 2, basically. Um, but apparently once they decided that that wasn't happening, that sequence got cut from the movie. But yeah, it was very much, it was exactly what you said, which is this idea of women, like the women from the island going out into the world to kind of recreate, basically the perpetual cycle, that sort of nightmare of kind of women and trapping men, basically. But like suggesting that, yep, this is just a thing that they do now forever. Um, in a really bleak and depressing sort of way. It's like Hostel, if Hostel wasn't afraid of foreigners, but was afraid of women, basically, is kind of where we're at, I think. In terms of, like... Um, but, uh, they're both terrible films. Sorry, I don't like Hostel either. But yeah, around but the I'll same time as well. I'll complain about another time, and the many reasons why I dislike it. It tricks you into reproducing with them. Um, the, the, 
like he he wasn't like, oh no, you're gonna make me reproduce more. <laughs> it's like, no, no, we're gonna burn you to death. <laughs> I think that's, that's another thing that's very American about it, actually, because obviously one of the big plot points in the original version of The Wicker Man was the fact that the protagonist is a virgin. virgin and it's a very clever yeah. virgin because it's it's a virgin sacrifice, but it's a virgin sacrifice where the man is a virgin, which is yeah. very clever. You know, it's kind of, it's a very which, clever kind of subversion. Which is interesting, but they couldn't do that because like, yeah. Nick Cage's character, he needs to... Be know. a man. He, he, he doesn't have a virginal to... vibe about him, if I might put no, it like no. that. <laughs> Really, he has a certain kind of like angry man on the internet vibe to him that I can kind of buy. <laughs> like to be fair, um, like I could genuine, I could believe Nicolas Cage's character here is like what we would now call an incel. Basically, um, I could kind of get that um, from the movie that we watched. All right, then is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at people? Um. Not really, no. I mean, I, I intensely disliked it. Um, I, I think if we talk about the ending, it is quite remarkable in that there, there is literally just a sequence of scenes where he's just punching women <laughs> almost out of nowhere. Like there's uppercuts and everything and they're just terrible fight scenes as well. And I think because it's one of the things that's carried over from the original film, but it doesn't make any sense in this one because they've changed it so much, is the the is the, the Lee Lee Sobieski character who's like the comely young yeah. barmaid the whole point of that character, it's Britt Eklund famously in yeah. the um, in the original, is that he, uh, the Edward Woodward character, is being sexually tempted to renounce his virginity. So he's been given this chance. You know, she's trying to seduce to out, one pivotal yeah. point, and presumably that's the kind of basic role that the that the young young woman has here. But but of course it's Nick. Cage and we know that he's had a child and he's clearly not saving himself for marriage like Edward was. Um, so it's a character that kind of has no point, you know? Yeah, you uh, get one scene of them on the dock and she like puts his hand on his and she's like, when you're leaving, will you take me away from here? Yeah. And that's it. She's, that's the sum she's vaguely yeah. flirtatious. She's about 25 years too young for him. Um, and their second encounter is he drop kicks her into a wall. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really bizarre, but not in a good way, I would say. Yeah, you kind of wonder if like that was one of the things that because it, it it it's weird because the movie does feel like a Neil Butte movie. It doesn't feel like anybody tinkered with it to get it into the shape that it was. Like it doesn't feel like somebody took his baby away from him and hacked it up. It feels very much like you asked Neil Butte to make the Wicker Man, and this is the Wicker Man that Neil Butte made. Is it worth mentioning very briefly the opening sequence? Because Andrew kind of alluded to this earlier on. The opening sequence of the movie, which makes no sense in any way outside of that weird, uncomfortable women out to get you sense, or all women are the same woman, basically, where, you know, Malice is, or Malice is basically kind of like tricked. He's, he's a highway patrolman. He stops to help a woman and her child at the side of the road. They get totaled by a truck out of nowhere. Like they're mm. parked on the side of the road and a truck just r crushes them, apparently. Um, now, several things happen here, which are very confusing. First of all, he tries to help down the car. The car explodes, pushing him backwards and leading to him getting, like, set off work for a little while. It we're then told after the fact by a woman who is also a member of the cult that they didn't find any bodies in the wreckage, mm. uh, which is very strange. So did they find, is that, like, what about the driver of the truck or was, like, Sister Beach driving the truck or something? Presumably, yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they're everywhere. They're all the way in California. It's a very elaborate plan. Yeah. And I mean, even even the details like the fact that like the truck totals the car, 
Like, if, you are, if you're constructing that plan, there's no way you know that the two women are going to survive that collision at all. No. Let alone that they're going to be able to kind of walk away afterwards. And then the car explodes. And, like, Nicolas Cage, who's standing outside the car, ends up with a concussion. So, like, how do the two women inside the car get out? And, like... Wh- I mean, presumably the- they've got a really good stunt coordination unit somewhere <laughs> on the island. We hadn't seen We haven't seen them, but, I mean, they've got a whole... You know, because they're really good at it. Like, they've clearly done yeah. this before. It's a whole operation. Um, we didn't see all of the island, perhaps. Yeah. So. They'll sort of, like, Wonder Woman place in the background where yeah. they're training them with archers and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's... it's yes, if it's Nick Cage's a... character in this film went to, what is it, Wonder Woman's Island, what's it called, Themyscira? <laughs> yeah. If he went around punching Amaz- Amazonians in the face, that would be or that would be brilliant. Um, yes, be I would. Very different I would, movie. I would watch a sequel where he lands on the wrong island by mistake. The wrong island of women. Sorry, that's oh, my, then, my, my fantasy now of what the what the sequel to the Wicker Man and, is. Does Chris Pine end up on the Wicker Man Island by mistake? Oh no, Chris, P- Chris Pine would be grand. I think he'd be I think he'd be a good one. Um I'd I'd bring back Nick Cage, of course, to, re- to reprise his <laughs> signature role. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it's like obviously like the point of that scene is to like get him into this like white knight mode where he can like t- to make him feel bad about not saving this little girl who apparently also didn't die for some reason and then therefore dangling the possibility of rescuing this other little girl to get him out there but it's all so horribly horribly hideously complicated it feels like it feels like the like the truck collision sequence is like the cherry on top of the evil plan mm. but it's also the like most involved part of the evil plan they, it's they like, also re- really underplay the reveal that they that they actually planned the truck accident because i was trying to remember uh, the whole way through did hey hang on was it just a coincidence or did they do this as well and then there's a really uh, certainly in the version i was watching um the director's cut that andrew saw as well um there's a very quick shot of the mother and child from the car but it's so quick and nothing is made of it that you would genuinely, it's, I think it's why I hadn't remembered, you wouldn't know. And the other thing is yeah. that all the little girls in the film look so much alike that I had no, yeah. I, for a large part of the film, I was thinking, was the little ca- girl in the car Rowan? Because they're both identical looking blonde children with piglets and I, you know, piglets, Jesus. <laughs> piglets, maybe they do. Um, pigtails. Um, they look really alike. So I was thinking, is there some, like how many blonde children that look really, little girls who look just the same? are in this so even the staging the props and the photographs and that are really similar um like presumably there's meant to be inbreeding on the island or something and they're all kind of blonde looking but um an Aryan looking yeah, except for the actual adult women somehow who are yeah. like brunettes and like black hair and so yeah. again, again that's that weird like all women are faces of the same monster sort of thing that runs through like the weird sequence where they're twins there are twins for some yeah. reason here and that's that's like twins are scary in horror movies yeah yeah, and it's it's like there's no reason Ro- for it. Rose has a twin as well. Yeah, I think he's ripping that off from um uh Look now, isn't he? The 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 twin. Oh, the little the, child. Yeah. The bl- no, yeah. there's blind twins, older twins that are blind. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. or one of them is and don't look now. Yeah. Oh, it's just nonsense. Yeah. Um, <sighs> and and the jump scares are terrible. Like the sequence where he's on the boat and sh- the little girl is at the edge of the boat staring out over the ocean. And then you get like this terrible CGI truck running across the deck of the ship somehow. Um, and it's just a terrible, terrible, terrible film. Um, the Butte is probably best known for comedies. And it's been suggested that one of the problems with the movies is that it works so well as a black comedy because the Butte is a comedic director and has no talent for horror movies whatsoever, even ignoring the fact that the script is terrible. 
So like the way in which he stages scenes or the way in which he structures scenes are not conducive to jump scares. They're mm-hmm. more in the rhythm of jokes. Um, so you, again, that sequence of Nicolas Cage running across the island like it's a 90s scroller video game um, in order to get from one side to the other. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already with regards to The Wicker Man? Um, I just mentioned that I think it's a film that will probably get looked at more uh, at the moment than it would have done until about a couple of years ago because... Um, if, if any of your um, listeners are big fans of folk horror, they'll know that there's been a huge revival of interest in a, a, a subgenre known as folk horror. And the, the original Wicker Man is one of the what's known as the holy trilogy of folk horror, together with Blood and Satan's Claw and Witchfinder General, which were all from kind of the mid 70s or the late 60s. So I think that because of this, there's a lot of academic interest in this subgenre at the moment. There's a lot of a lot of um, forums and Facebook groups and, and you know, Twitter uh, accounts dedicated to folk horror. So I think in a weird way, this will get watched more uh, yeah. than it would have done would have done in previous years, because, simply because of its connection to one of the most deservedly uh, one of the foundational texts of of contemporary folk horror. Um, I mean, it is it is an abomination, but it is it exists. Um, so some poor bugger will end up writing about it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's so it has I think accidentally. I'd imagine it's probably getting watched more in the last couple of years than it would have done before that. So because yeah. it's it's obviously been kind of usually uh, yet a huge kind of revival. Um, obviously in terms of of the Ben Wheatley, for Massive. example, I'm a really uh, big thing academically as well. And in, in the past few years, it's it's yeah. really quite interesting to watch. Yeah. yeah, and I think even on television stuff like say I think the third day on on kind of Sky uh, Atlantic at the moment. Or it looks HBO really promising. I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Um, I've only seen the first three episodes, the Jude Law episodes. I haven't watched the uh, the second set of episodes yet, the Naomi Harris ones. Um, so and then there's a live event that will be out by the time that you're able to listen to this as well, which seems oh. very which would seem very ambitious at the best of times, but seems particularly ambitious in the era of like social lockdown and COVID nineteen doing a live production for television. Yeah. Um, you wait for one of the actors to cough and for everybody else to become very, very uncomfortable on the set. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 and again, obviously that the films like Hereditary as well, it is very much, yeah, it feels like that genre is coming back. And I, yeah, I think you're onto something with The Wicker Man, maybe. Because again, a lot of the articles that we'll be including in the show notes are going to be, and I want to phrase this very carefully, reassessments of the wicker man from 2006 not necessarily as kind as some of the reassessments that like you know bad horror movies get a lot of them start with this is terrible but then they move to this is terrible but sort Mm -hmm. of stuff going on there um interesting in terms of other stuff in terms of yeah nicholas cage's career which i think we kind of mentioned which is that it arrived at the perfect time this is like the point at which nicholas cage stops being an actor you take in any way seriously and starts becoming a meme, basically. And it's kind of amazing how quickly it happened and how much it seemed to be down to this one film in particular. You know, he, he stops doing that kind of middle-brow studio stuff after this and just basically resigns himself to doing video on demand, um, which is kind of depressing. Yeah, I mean, it probably also... Did he also go ban- bankrupt yeah. in the early 2000s? Wasn't there some sort of terrible tax situation? That, uh, yes, it was 2008, two years he after He just bought this. a castle or something. <laughs> Yeah, quite literally, he bought the most haunted house in New Orleans. Oh, um, a yeah. couple of months, a well, couple I can of months. Be- that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he blames it. Like he bought the most haunted house in New Orleans, and then like the Great Recession happened, and he lost absolutely everything. And he's apparently spent the years since believing that the house was cursed. And so to make it up, he bought himself. No, no, this is great. It's a great Nicholas Cage story. I told this last year. Apologies, Andrew's listening to this again. But Nicholas Cage, to make up for this, bought himself a plot of land 
in the New Orleans cemetery next to the, uh, I believe she's called the voodoo grandmother of New Orleans. Um, she's got her little grave. She's got a grave in, in there and it's supposed to be a really sacred site in terms of kind of religious belief in, in New Orleans and Louisiana in general. And Nicolas Cage bought this huge spot next to her where he erected a giant kind of like stone granite pyramid. And it has already become traditional for teenagers uh, in New Orleans hanging around the graveyard to just leave like little lipstick imprints on this weird pyramid that's been erected, presumably to house Nicolas Cage when he dies in an effort to kind of rebalance his karma for buying the most haunted house in New Orleans right before the Great Recession. I love Nicolas Cage stories. I'm surprised um, he still has a teen following, actually. I mean, I don't mean that in a, in a, in a, in a really cynical way, but I would have thought, you know... His sort of heartthrob days would have been a bit behind him, you know, like he's great in raising Arizona, for instance. But that was, what, 30 years ago. I think it's also just the irony sort of aspect of it. Like, again, I think that one of the big discussions about Nicolas Cage is this kind of like he's the perfect celebrity for the ironic age, where it's like if you're enjoying Nicolas Cage, you no longer have to justify it seriously. You can say, I enjoy Nicolas Cage ironically. Like, I love his performance here, even though it's terrible. But that's what makes it great sort of stuff. So, you know, Nicolas Cage kind of, at the right time was there at the right time to have this kind of internet fan base and i mean you could argue i think you are you're very fond of mandy as i recall i think me if I'm, I, yeah right. i've never actually seen it funnily enough oh okay yeah no I, I did i did really enjoy the colorado space i thought it was fun and he really worked on that it, it, it it's also a good film in addition yes. to the fact that it's got um richard stanley it's a great comeback for him so see if people haven't seen it watch the colorado space it's really enjoyable and it's a proper yeah. horror film, unlike this abomination. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, is that you have this kind of, like, Nicolas Cage arrived at the right moment in inverted commas that he could be used in that way. Yeah. And that, like, there was a space for him, and he's able to transition into it. All right, then, I think that about wraps it up, unless there's anything else we want to talk about, anything we want to discuss. Um, I guess we could say Nicolas Cage is inappropriately smoking by the end of the movie, <laughs> um, in terms of classic 250 tropes. And he's in a um, cage. Yeah, <laughs> Nicolas Cage in a cage. <laughs> and I love Sorry. that he manages to claw himself up claw himself up just so he can yell <laughs> angrily at the women below him just as like one final defiant gesture um the movie's kind of like the fact he pulls himself like, this won't bring your your bees back which i think is, and you know to be fair is a line from the original because it won't bring your precious crops back but like delivered by nicholas cage it somehow becomes kind of camper as a result but yeah i think that's it unless there's anything else you want to discuss anything we haven't discussed already i don't know i think I'm nope ready. All right, perfect. All right, then, uh, with that in mind, then, what we do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment. Uh, Bernice is a scholar in horror, and with Halloween coming up, we might say, <laughs> if you have a good horror movie you'd like to recommend that listeners might not have seen. But before we do that, to give you a chance to think, we're going to ask Andrew, what would you recommend? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd repeat to check out the 1970s Wicker Man, um, the Sprite, and if you want a few... Um, uh, Nicholas Cage movies. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd actually recommend those very sort of uh, middle of the road sort of Michael Bay sort of ones because 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 of how much fun they are. Um, but it, it doesn't. It's 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 not much of a recommendation because I think everybody's already aware of the likes of Face Off and um, On Air and um, The Rock. So it's 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 not too original. But um, yeah. Remember when Nicolas Cage was not terrible. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, 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 the um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to kind of re- re- remember maybe, I don't know even at his best, but, but in, in, this in like some a weird bonkers eulogy. movies where, where, where he ought to be. I mean, the, he, 
he is 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 it the case though that he's kind of having a bit of a renaissance in recent years um, with say mandy and with the color yeah. out of space and stuff like that yeah, he, and arguably even with say into the spider yeah. Which is good, and I kind of it's kind of good to see that because I think he is he's a good performer. That famous quote from is it uh, Ethan Hawke when he was asked to name his favorite actor, and he was like Nicolas Cage. He's the only actor to do anything interesting with the form since Marlon Brando. He's like what the ancient troubadours were aspiring towards, which is perhaps the most amazing Ethan Hawke description of Nicolas Cage ever. Um, <laughs> not sure I would go that far, but I kind of yeah. like I do admire. I think I think it's good that there's room for Nicolas Cage um, in in the movie landscape. But Bernice, what about yourself? What would you recommend? Um, I would recommend if you're looking for a really fun, enjoyable Halloween film that actually I think would suit maybe a broader audience than many of the things I recommend, which would traumatize people. Um, Ready or Not is a really delightful horror comedy. Got a bit of gore in it. It has an amazing, I won't ruin anything, but it has an amazing final five minutes. Uh, and it's just a really good film. And, and there's an actress in it called Samara Weaving, who's very quickly establishing herself as just a fantastic uh, genre actress in particular, though I'm sure she'll have a... She's one of those actresses. You know, there's like four actresses that look really like Margot Robbie. Yes. And she's one, and including Margot well. Robbie, yeah. of course. And she's yeah. one of them. And, and, you know, it's a bit unfortunate because it's a bit like there were about three women who look like Emma Stone. And there could only be one Emma Stone, perhaps. But um, I, would, I would recommend Ready or Not. I'd also recommend if you're looking for a good, um, slightly offbeat sort of folk horror film, there's a movie out a couple of years ago called Pie Whack It. Um, which is absolutely brilliant. And it's just a really good, creepy film about about uh, a teenager who dabbles in sort of black magic and it goes terribly wrong, which is, of course, a very cliched kind of story. But it's really anchored by great performances. It's really sad. Uh, and it's really, it's it's just a really intelligent, um, harrowing sort of film. So Pie Wacket is, if you're maybe looking for a more intense viewing, I would recommend it. It's really good. Cool. Um, in terms of recommendations for myself, I think Saint Maud is going to be in cinemas oh. as we're releasing this. Have, have, you, have seen you seen it? It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't. Great. It's my number one. It and Antlers. I've been waiting to see since before COVID. So, <laughs> yeah. It's finally coming out like six months later than originally intended. Oh, but I think brilliant. it is coming out October twenty eighth uh, in British and UK cinemas, and I suspect on streaming on demand in the states. It is great. Absolutely loved it. It's one of my top ten films of the year so far. Which probably means less this year than it would any other year, given there are fewer films, but still, I really, really loved it. Um, Nicolas Cage, I think that Bernice mentioned Color Out of Space, uh, which is great. I also really, really loved that. Um, and in terms of folk horror, I think I mentioned already, I quite like the first three episodes of The Third Day. I haven't watched the rest yet, because uh, I haven't had time. But I think if you're looking for something that's in the mold of The Wicker Man, you could probably do a lot worse. In fact, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have already done a lot worse um, <laughs> than watch The, the Third Day. Uh, but I would wholeheartedly recommend that. All right, then. So if listeners are looking for a bit more Bernice in their lives, where can they find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter at Murph Gothic. M-U-R-P-H-G-O-T-H-I-C. <laughs> Perfect. You can follow the podcast at At The 250. Uh, I'm on at Darren underscore Mooney. Next week on Halloween night itself, we promise we will actually be discussing a good movie. David Fincher's 25-year-old serial killer classic, Seven. We hope you'll join us then. Cheers. Bye. Woo!